Uh, yeah, about that. Uh, I'm being gaslit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic's review of the 2005 HBO original series, Rome. Ladies and gents, to uh, our review of HBO's Rome, we are on season one, episode five. The Ram has touched the wall. Fresh off of uh, a very talented cast and several Academy Award wins, I just want to say a quick, uh, you know, congrats to Jacob and BP and Cole for your awards there. But we will get started and get going with our Everybody episode no here. No context to the listeners on what that means at all. Uh, we are we are uh, <laughs> with podcast royalty tonight, folks. Um, we. <laughs> Start the episode in Pompey's camp. Rome Senate uh, that had defied Caesar is dirty, unshaven. Pompey is dictating a letter to Caesar, essentially agreeing to Caesar's truce. Cicero states that they're being chased by Caesar's legions, that they have no money, and they cannot recruit troops. And as we all well know, recruitment is the lifeblood of the legion. Pompey refuses to meet with Caesar in person as he was once like a son to him. Cato hates this whole affair and wants Caesar to surrender to them. Pompey Magnus, for the first time, refers to himself in the third person. Pompey Magnus does not surrender. His intention is that this truce will buy him time to gather strength. As Caesar is shaved, note the contrast, Pasca informs him that a pederast, which is a very bad person, has changed alliances from Pompey to Caesar. Caesar says that he'll be made a quaestor. He wants to show that he rewards, not punishes, those who turn to his side. Caesar also rejects a second dinner invitation from Adia, which Pasca describes as brave. The newsreader informs the public that Caesar has offered truce to Pompey. The city streets are being swept in. Polo is walking around with a tummy ache, but he's being really brave about it. <laughs> I respect him. I can never remember what this newscaster's name is now and i know he doesn't have about one. it it's just newsreader I just, I just write tucker carlson anytime that <laughs> character has a screen screen time nowadays in my notes just because we've gotten used to calling him a fox news reporter fair enough fair enough all right um all right here's a scene coming up Adia walks in on Octavian painting Octavia's toenails. He describes it as art. A couple of things. Eating testicles didn't work. And Cole, you told me before the show started, you really wanted to talk about Octavia's feet? Uh, yeah, about that. Uh, I'm being gaslit. <laughs> oh, Clearly, great response. As much as it pains me, because I hate Atia with uh, my entire being, uh, she might have been onto something with the whole Octavian's feminine anima thing. <laughs> yeah, he's enjoying painting these nails. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Octavian bad at keeping his word, as I'm sure you're about to describe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That struck me as very weird, but like also kind of like a, a humanizing moment because Octavian's like kind of ping pong between being a little creepy weirdo and being like this unnaturally politically savvy teenager yeah, yeah. yeah it's now this like, genuine moment of like no mom i'm not gay shut up like it's like <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to the the stuff there but uh jacob you do bring up an interesting point that um that octavian is something of a harry styles of the ancient roman world uh so yeah. there's that uh anyway yes as we've been describing 
Adia is quite pleased with Octavian because she heard a rumor from the kitchens that Octavian had seduced his great uncle Caesar. You seduced him, you sly little fox. Octavian denies this. Adia isn't listening. Let's see Sevilla compete with a soft boy like you. She revels in the influence they'll have since Octavian is Caesar's tiny boy, little boy, baby boy. Octavian continues to deny this and reveals that he was helping Caesar through an illness. So yes, kind of breaking his oath as you guys had mentioned. Adia says that Octavian needs to be discreet and play hard to get. A good lover is a discreet lover. <laughs> I, I like our different accents for Adia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Boy. Let's see. Uh, Octavia stands up for Octavian, and Adia finally understands that Octavian did not have sex with his great uncle. She's disappointed. She then t uh, she's then told that Caesar is not coming to dinner. No reason given. Now, fellas, do we have anything else we want to say about this scene? Because there is a lot to unpack here. I have an honorable mention to my funniest moment. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's a real niche one. Because mm -hmm. uh, Atia is wearing these earrings that look like Newton balls or Newton's cradle. You oh, know? okay, yeah. And I very faintly was able to hear them jingling when <laughs> she was walking. I was like, "That's kind of funny," and that's it. <laughs> that that's a sleeper there. All I can ever really think about with like this scene, and there's a couple other scenes that have kind of made me question some sanity of some of the characters in this time period. It. It just reminds me so much of like all of the incestuous stuff that was brought up on Game of Thrones, whether it was blatant or just like that basic thing where they talk about, oh, we're going to marry uh, Sansa Stark to Robin Aaron, and they don't even acknowledge the fact that they're cousins and things like that. And so it's just kind of that it's just it makes me it's just so uncomfortable <laughs> when you think about this time frame. I, you know, BP, you're bringing up like, yeah, cousin marriages. That's actually, I mean, do you want to start a civil war in this podcast group? I know there are very sharp lines on that issue. I, I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> I've spoke. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, soup catfish yellow on Twitter. <laughs> now this, this is a Watch guy the community that knows yeah. cousin. <laughs> Um, all right, moving on here, guys. Verena the Elder walks home with baby Lucius. Polo is passed out on the steps. Verena inquires one Crido, Verena's fiance, will come home. He's selling slaves that will provide her dowry, and Verena and Lucius will soon be sent away with Crido. Uh, Verena is excited, but Niobe protests, but Verena says it'll soon be time, and Niobe relents. Polo comes in asking for water. Verena says that Polo should be in camp, but Polo doesn't want to go. He's ill, not from booze, but bad oysters. Verenus asks him about his girl, Irene. Polo realizes she's absent. While the boys are talking, Niobe pulled Verena aside and seemed to be talking to her about something, but I, I didn't know what that was. But I didn't make that up, right? Like, did you guys notice them yeah. talking? Yeah. I'm definitely thinking that it's because there's this part where Verenus is telling his daughter that uh, he's allowing her to move with her husband once they are married, and apparently it's coming up real soon and he's actually trying to push the wedding to earlier so that she can move um, and Niobe in is very much protesting it we know why Verena doesn't know why and I think that's what they're talking about is saying no we we gotta save face a little bit better here yeah, yeah. Mr. K uh, you you said you weren't didn't know what they were talking about 
Yeah, I don't know either. It's not like there's like a, a secret uh, lie about a baby being told that's very relevant to these two people that this scenario applies to. Well, I, I mean, it, it didn't come up again this episode. And like, you know, it, it's hard to know what Naomi Endgame is. I would argue it came is. up a lot in this episode. What? what oh, oh, well. I would argue it came up a lot in this episode. What, well, I mean, what, uh, well, no, I, I would argue against that, Cole. I cannot say with certainty what Niobe was instructing Verena because the family dynamics are very, very different compared to Roman societies. And I, I don't know what Niobe's end game is with this baby and with her own child being shipped off and stuff like that. And this lie that Verena is also telling there so no i i cannot say with confidence that i know the specifics of what they were talking about i suppose if i may make an inference i have a thought because i was struck at how much uh their eldest daughter verena the elder uh was like has taken to uh, motherhood like yeah yeah she's carrying around little baby boy unnamed um no it's lucius but (laughs) oh named lucius baby boy uh and is excited to get married and move in with her who a 13 year old uh, husband uh, or a fiance Uh Uh, and like i i i always thought it was like a sham wedding before this like there was just two kids running around on the block and they happen to know each other but no it turns out maybe they do fancy one another so maybe my thought is here right that niobe's like hey farina pump the brakes you can't you actually cannot take care of this child what are you doing be a little more apprehensive about the whole thing come on now yeah but i don't know yeah yeah we'll we'll see what unfolds we'll see what unfolds um verena Sampolo search for irini verena says that am i pronouncing that right irini like i know i said it wrong the last episode i think but I heard I, I Irene. I heard Irene in this episode, but I think this is also the first time they've officially said yeah. her name more than once. And yeah. I don't even remember hearing her name. So okay, I do. I just don't remember how they said it, but okay, I recall okay. them saying it. Um. But anyway, they're searching for Verena. Says that even if she isn't found, it'll be easy for Polo to get another. But Polo says he doesn't want another girl, and he wants to get out of the Thirteenth Legion. Irini calms him, and he hasn't even touched her at all. They find her, and a guy demands Polo pays uh him for her release. Bad idea. Polo is about to pulverize him, but Verenus buys her freedom. Polo needs a place where she'll be safe, so Verenus tells Niobe that Irini is going to be their slave, as Niobe has wanted a slave. Niobe says she doesn't want Irini, though. She says that Irini has strange eyes, and Verenus says, you drive me insane. And a laugh track played through my speakers. (laughs) Verenus insists ultimately that she stays. I want to say something about this whole um, Polo and Irini thing, just because like, a lot about this like situation confused me and uh it was mostly that like did polo just like lose her like in some like the hangover-esque shenanigans like what what happened there how did she go missing and secondly did that guy own her like well was clearly somebody... cole you've never had bad oysters um, <laughs> but uh no cole you bring up a, a fair question i think i mean i really I, I have, I'm as much in the dark as you. I think the only insight I can offer is that the barkeep that uh, wants money for her, he's credited on IMDb as like literal barkeep. So I have no idea how he would have like enslaved her in a night without Polo or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not really sure there. Anyone else want to offer insights? 
I don't have insight on that, but I just that whole thing with Polo is like you we get this a lot. We're like a moment, like oh, Polo's changing. Mm-hmm. This woman makes him feel calm, and he hasn't even touched her. Wow, progress! And then his first inclination when the guy's like, "Yeah, you got to pay for," her, he's like, "I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna beat him up." He's like, "Okay, same old Polo." I mean, Jacob, that is what is called a character arc. Other things are improving while he still needs to learn his biggest flaw, which is that he just likes to jump into violence. (laughs) I don't have any other insight. I, yeah, I, picking back off what Cole and Jacob said, it it would just ever say that phrase to me again. That was what? Piggybacking? No, I have nightmares about it still. Oh, okay, okay. Is this yeah. a is this a, a Stranger Things reference? Do I not understand this? No. no, this is a Robert's Rules of Order reference. Oh, oh, yeah. God. Gentlemen, please. Um, all right, gentlemen, please. Niobe talks to Clarissa, thinking that Irini is there to spy on her because Polo knows her secret. Clarissa thinks it's silly. Wow. Polo observations, please. Anthony, that's what C- I was saying. Yeah, right, that's what I was thinking. At least, sorry to interject, but. No, you're good. Like Niobe is describing describing way more cunning and like uh, I don't know just common sense to Polo <laughs> than like he deserves. And he is displayed in any scenario. Yeah, like this is the man whose head was literally open in her kitchen room. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, little do we know that uh, that statement made by Niobe's friend, I forgot her name, but little do we know that that statement's uh, not gonna age well within a few moments of this episode yeah yeah antony caesar and posca hang out in caesar's tent antony reveals that pompey is agreeing to all of caesar's terms caesar thinks this is suspiciously too generous but with pompey growing weaker every day if caesar goes out and annihilates him he'll look like a tyrant posca is seeking peace antony doesn't want any mercy but caesar is incentivized to seek peace as to not appear tyrannical then they realize that Pompey refuses to meet Caesar in person. Caesar mulls over the optics of this. He refuses to meet me. Caesar can attack Pompey over this insult and it would be justified to the common folk. Antony wants to leave immediately, but Caesar calls for patience. Antony is frustrated that they wait and do nothing. I had something, I had this as like a note of comparison. We talk about how in previous episodes, these game, these episodes were kind of like, uh, chessboard games almost it kind of just shows the experience that caesar has in the political realm where he is very much wanting to play a game of chess whereas mark antony is wanting to play a game of checkers which usually ends a lot faster than a game of chess i would say it's more like caesar wants to play a game of chess and antony just wants to stab the guy that's trying to play chess with him <laughs> <laughs> both after <have to> comparisons <laughs> Uh, uh, hold on, Jacob. What's your uh, game reference? You know, all three uh, you Caesar wants to play backgammon, and uh, Anthony is like, backgammon is that invented yet? I thought that was a Chinese thing. And w- have we met them? I don't. Verinus uh... goes <laughs> to the slave markets, and a salesman <laughs> informs him all of his slaves have died from the black blood flux, except one boy whose sale will be enough to provide the feed bill that Verinus owes him. Verinus takes the boy home. None too pleased, more like manhandles him home. Niobe is confused. That was yeah. so funny. He's <laughs> holding him like a small dog. Because he's not walking fast enough. Yeah. yeah. Verinus's luck remains the worst in the world. I, I, I feel so bad for this man. Like, literally, every single episode, some new terrible thing has befallen him. Couldn't even I sell a For the most part, he doesn't deserve it. 
Yeah. If any of you have seen Hereditary, that dead body with the bugs floating around it, if you've seen Hereditary, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It reminded me of that one scene in Hereditary that I will not dare spoil, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's see. Uh, Niobe's confused that uh, Varinus went to make some money, comes back with a small child, and their fortune went up in flies. Varinus's daughters are excited to keep the boy, but Varinus says he'll soon be sold. Nonetheless, they want to name him Rubio after a treasured bird. Varinus says he'll think of another way I'd to like make to, money. I'd uh, like to cut in real quick and say, uh, on, uh, in Varinus's defense, that he wasn't up in arms when he returned home and suddenly there was an extra child. Why does Niobe get to be mad when there's an extra child now? He was up in <laughs> arms. He was up in arms. He calmed down pretty quickly. Like it, Once it was like, oh, it's not mine. It's like, okay, she's she stayed mad when the situation was explained. Okay. I have an honorable mention for my favorite moment of the episode in this scene. Yeah. It's just one quick sentence spoken by Verena the Younger, I believe. It's as you said... We will. We should name him Rubio after my pigeon that died. <laughs> it is such this weird small moment of world building mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, Verena the Younger had a pigeon named Rubio, and I didn't know that about her before. And wow, I, I, life has been prescribed to this character. I just thought it was a now nice. That, now that's one whole thing you know about that character. Exactly. Well, it also kind of shows just how they feel about slaves and other people outside the the Roman tribe, as yeah, it were. You are equal to the pigeon I owned. Yeah, yeah. Even if he'll you know be cared for like a pet pigeon, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Caesar and Servilia play dice. Dice escalates into playful sexual banter, but then Servilia gets real and tells Caesar to never leave her again. Caesar kisses her feet. Jacob, you told me before the show you wanted to comment on Servilia's feet. Whoa, hey, well, I'm sensing a theme here where <laughs> Kay is uh, planting some uh, abusive, uh, if I do say so, stalling, moments. Stalling. <laughs> uh, let's see. We cut to another sex scene with Antony and Adia. Antony complains that the men are restless and upset at Caesar for not taking on Pompey. He pretends it's a stratagem, but every man in the camp knows that Servilia has unmanned him. Caesar doesn't want to leave Rome and her. Adia gets a twinkle in her eye, which is never a good sign. The next morning, Adia voices her frustration that Caesar is with Servilia and not hunting Pompey. Octavian advises her to not do anything about this. Castor then informs Adia that Octavian's tutor has arrived, who's going to teach him to fight, copulate, and skin. Octavian resists. He likes to learn by reading, but Adia hits a slave to show her disdain of the Greek philosophers her son reads. She said that it isn't the Solon Catonian that is teaching him, although Varinus could use a job, but the cheerful (laughs) brute. Octavian has to remind her that they are Varinus and Polo. What extraordinary names these plebs have. Polo. Hmm. Love Adia. I just wanted to say... This is a, an honorable mention for uh, my funny moment where it's a Adia is just like so irritated at Octavian that she just slaps the absolute crap out of just a slave that didn't do anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm so mad at you. Bam. Like, wh- what? Yeah. I mean, it's a big callback. Yeah. To when she was just whipping the crap out of Castor over what Caesar did. Yeah. What were you saying, BP? And I know I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead. Yeah. I love that Polo is who Adia has as his tutor, because I just, as soon as they're on screen together, they don't really interact that much in the first episode, but as soon as we get to that scene, and I know you'll describe it a little more, their dynamic is actually really strong. And I was very excited to see this. And he is literally the best man for the job. 
because Addy is like, yeah, we're going to teach you how to fight and we're going to teach you how to copulate. And Polo is very good at both of those things. Indeed, so indeed, indeed. looking forward to the scene where Polo teaches Octavian sex. Will be good. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, uh, let's see. You are talking about the pedantrist earlier. Polo teaches Octavian a fight but Octavian isn't very good and frustrated Octavian says he feels ill and he wasn't made to be a soldier Polo says he's seen him kill before and Octavian says he doesn't mind killing people who aren't fighting back Polo says never fear young Dominus we'll make a regular terror of you Polo playfully slaps Octavian on the back Octavian says don't do that Polo then inquires Octavian for advice, asking around whether he should tell Varinus that he suspects Niobe is unfaithful. Octavian instantly clocks that Polo is talking about Varinus. Octavian advises Polo that he should keep this to himself until he's absolutely sure. I'm just kind of curious how many people in this city know what Niobe was up to while Varinus was out fighting, because I'm kind of curious because... Octavian obviously can kind of get rumors afloat and things like that. He's pretty politically smart and knows things, but I'm just kind of curious to know how it's kind of spreading around. I would say the the whole uh, Octavian putting it to like together that he's talking about Varinus isn't necessarily a thing of like, oh, the rumor mill of Rome. I think it's just uh, in Octavian's mind, Polo doesn't have any friends other than himself and Varinus. So if he's not talking about Octavian, he's probably talking about Varinus. I also Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Jacob. So uh yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. We just it's not that Octavian heard wind of rumor. It's just that he's he's very clever. And it's like I just every time we get a good moment of Octavian, I'm just like so impressed with like he's like the perhaps one of the wisest characters in the show. And he's like 12. He is like a, mm-hmm. has a supreme sense of self. He's like, no, I would be a middling soldier, and middling soldiers end up in graveyards. Yeah. Uh, oh, that is a great quote. Yeah, it's yeah. it's great. And, yeah. Uh, and to the fact you're speaking of BP, I do also wonder about the whole rumor thing because it does feel like it, um, that like rumors or like secrets in Rome don't exist because like there's always these moments where like, ooh, no one knows about this, and then like the very next episode, <laughs> like, oh everyone knows about it now and like we'll see later in this episode the whole uh julius caesar uh shacking up with servilia uh, everyone finds about, out about that pretty darn quick so yeah maybe you know, for all i know the 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 niobe evander polgio thing is like the the john redcorn of like of rome you know <laughs> i don't know john redcorn but i, I don't think know maybe what that is king of the hill oh, oh okay well, I hope that's a PC reference. Um, let's see. Pompey stares out into the ocean. A slave brings him a letter that Caesar has refused his truce. Pompey comments that the slave must be so content as to not make decisions. Varinus meets with Erastus Fulman, who was his honored guest back in the uh, failed business opening, and they're meeting at a spa. Varinus wants a loan, but Erastes won't lend it because Varinus will get hurt if he can't pay up. Erastes does imply that Varinus could be paid as a mob enforcer, which Varinus kind of takes to mean bodyguard. Polo is out doing some observations. He sees Lydie slap a Vander in the middle of the street, who appears to be telling him to tell Niobe that she, Lydie, is his wife. Graffiti is being painted in the night of Caesar copulating with Servilia. Niobe puts a cloak on Varinus for his first day of bodyguarding. I wanted to mention with that moment with Lydie, 
that's a moment where I think a lot of people really underestimate how smart Polo actually is. Cause a lot of people think he's just this crass dude in the military that uh, just wants to crack jokes and fight, but he's actually kind of scheming up pretty well in this. And he's actually doing a pretty good job. And I think a lot of people underestimate Polo. I, I will say, BP, you know, that might have to do with the pairing, though, because as we just said, the smartest character in the show is the one who maybe gave him some advice on the matter. But, I mean, Polo on his own, he's like a, an unstoppable train. He just needs a direction to uh, drive that plot forward, as it were, possibly. But Caesar and Calpurnia are being escorted through Rome. Common people are laughing at them, and then they all see the graffiti. And it's not just one piece, it is several. Calpurnia tells Caesar that he must be rid of Servilia or else she'll divorce him. Caesar cannot afford this due to her family's influence. Varinus meets up with Erastes. They go to meet Indian traders. Erastes is initially quite friendly with Tanjit. They embrace, and Tanjit says, I kiss your mother's feet. BP, you told me before the show started, you want to describe what you imagine Erastus' mother's feet looked like. All three, baby! <laughs> I'm proud of you. Um, oh. For real, though, this is like my Freudian uh, interpretation of the episode. Uh, anyways, uh, Erastus... Last week was all a bunch of references about testicles. This week it's feet. Eat, baby. Each episode's going to focus on a part of the human body at some point. My oh, prediction we'll is ears later. next week. Oh, we do get thumbs. We do. We do get some thumbs. Uh, but in our current scene, Erastes negotiates with Tanjit. He, uh, Erastes wants full payment, but Tanjit argues that the truffle pigs he was sold were diseased. Erastes attacks Tanjit, and Varinus jumps in with the other men to attack Tanjit's men. Erastes tells Varinus to break Tanjit's arm, which Varinus does. Tanjit still refuses to pay, and Erastes instructs Varinus to kill him. Varinus draws his sword, hesitates, then leaves. Niobe asks what happened. Varinus is upset, and Niobe supports him, but inquires how they'll pay rent and feed their children. And what is Joe Biden doing about the Roman economy? I love that Varinus is still living up to code, even after his time in the 13th. He is just like, all right, break his arm. Sure. I don't, I'm not going to kill him, though because this is just not worth it. It was it was a very rewarding character moment because we mm -hmm. do know Arenas is this very principled man. And it was very depressing to find out he was just uh, basically becoming a loan shark. And, <laughs> I mean, right? And, uh, but then, yeah, Arash is like, yeah, kill him. And he doesn't do it. You're like, that boy, Arenas, your family's going to starve. But that was the right <laughs> move. But you'll die, but you'll die a principled man. Uh, let's see here, guys. Servilia's slave, Eleni, excitedly announces Caesar has arrived. Giddy's a schoolgirl. Servilia bounds to him and touches his face. Caesar slaps her hands away and says he regrets that he cannot stay. He is saying goodbye to pursue Pompey and that he will not see her again. Caesar refuses to allow her to touch him and is stern. Half of Servilia's face is bathed in shadow and she's confused. Caesar says he loves her, but the Republic is at stake. At the invocation of the Republic, that Caesar is going to break up with her over politics, Servilia swipes at him and scratches his face. Caesar slaps her hard. Servilia is shocked, then Caesar hits her twice more after seeing the effect. He has a cold look on his face. I don't think he planned to do this as he walked in, but he knows by doing this, and the two extra hits are going to sever the ties. Mm -hmm. I. He says he loves, loves her. I think... I know after the first episode, I said that Caesar loves Serbia. I, the, this conversation proved to me that he did not. 
Oh, oh I, mm, I, I will get to my thoughts after uh, another scene, actually, that ties us all together. But I just feel so bad for Servilia. Yeah, I like to bring up a, an interesting parallel here that uh, when there was uh, no proof at all that Caesar was in love with Servilia, BP said, oh, no, he's in love with her. But now in the scene where Caesar literally says, uh, like, I am in love with you, like, I do love you. BP is like, nah, he's not in love with her. Not a chance. The anti-proof. It's the political statement, like how last week how Caesar was saying, please let, put, lift your heads up. It's like he's saying he loves her, but it was more of she's more of a political maneuver for him. But Julius Caesar gains nothing by playing Servilia. This is true. Fair enough. Anyway. We'll continue on, guys. Addie and a slave are laughing. Octavia asks why she is so happy. Uh, Addius, I don't know if anyone else caught this. Did anyone? Well, Addius spits out a grape seed. I, nope. Yep. I, I didn't. I caught I didn't, it. Yeah, okay. I, I caught maybe it. Maybe I'm blanking. I caught it. Addius spits out a grape seed. The slave catches it and eats it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I did see that. Um, <laughs> Adia discloses nothing why she is so happy. Um, Caesar packs quickly at camp. Antony is excited to attack Pompey. Caesar informs him that he'll be staying in Rome to keep the peace. There's only two tragedies in life. One is not getting what one wants. The other is getting it. Poscus is going to stay to assist Antony. Pompey mopes around. Brutus and Cicero watch him Ooh. trip over himself. Not the image of strength. Cicero tells Brutus he was considering escaping to his farm and asks Brutus to join him. Brutus declines. Cicero will not go without Brutus. He would look like a coward and doesn't have the family prestige of Brutus. He must keep his name well polished. You don't you don't ever like hear him say anything, but I think this episode, even though he's not on screen for a lot of time, I think this really shows Brutus's conflict with where he's uh aligning himself because you can just see it in his face that he and i think just like a lot of the at least all of the main cadets in pompey's army they're really uh starting to lose faith in him and you can kind of see just especially in brutus you're just like he's just thinking what did i do to come to this (laughs) but but he's an honorable man who's gonna go down with the ship quite possibly I wanted to say something about the scene with uh, Caesar and Antony uh, about a, a possible interpretation of the whole him ordering Antony to stay. And I would say it's primarily because uh, Caesar needs a guy he knows is on his side to like stay in the city. But I could also see it being like a he has like a some kind of like implication about this happened like because of Antony. Even if he didn't do it, like maybe he oh. like said something so it's like you have like upset me so now i'm upsetting you by doing the thing you want but you don't get to do it cole you're right caesar doesn't know that but no you're absolutely right that the information trickles from antony yeah okay jacob you've been waiting for a while yes no i have something that's actually related to that because i did want to take a step back because yeah caesar gets kind of upset with antony and says something like i can't remember exactly what it is but he's like whatever don't don't contest me i i don't know he's upset with him I'm and I feel like this, well, that is lit, or I have a Mark Antony thing about him being a big dog written my notes. I'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but no, this whole kind of series of scenes is painting a picture of Caesar that we, 
uh, of him being in a situation we haven't seen him in before, wherein he is actually kind of backed up against a wall and forced to do things that he doesn't want to, yeah. right? He does not want to break up with Servilia. He only does that because At- Atia gets jealous and makes all that vandalism happen. Right. And so because of that, he has to do this. And he's like, well, guess I now have to go chase after Pompey because my wife is mad and upset at me. And I don't want to chase after Pompey. That's not the move I wanted to make. And so he's mad at Anthony and blah, 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 blah. And he, uh, as we said, um, attacks Servilia. And it's, uh, it's, it's a very different side of Caesar. He is backed into a corner and like a dog, he is uh, biting. Uh, uh, um, fellows, all great points there. Um, that I didn't think of any of those. Yeah. Well, and yeah, BP. I f- fully agree with Jacob, and I also think, in some way, it is kind of something that Cole brought up that he that Caesar wants someone in Rome on his side to keep things in line. But you also kind of think about it if you this is kind of a backhanded compliment to Antony. If some, if someone tries to invade Rome and you have Mark Antony as your leader and the 13th, you, you are actually putting good odds on making Mark Antony stay in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, Caesar's legions March fresh off a breakup. He didn't want Caesar is about to annihilate Pompey. Servilia lies in bed, depressed. Eleni looks at her concerned. Varinus goes to Antony. This is my funniest scene in the episode. Anyone else? Uh, nope. I don't think so. No? All right. Well, I'll take it, take it away from here. Varinus gets mad that a soldier is whistling on duty. Antony mulls over some documents as Varinus walks in. He instructs a servant to copy this document. He asks Varinus what he wants and addresses him as citizen. Varinus wants to accept Antony's offer into the Evocati. Antony seems confused that he had offered Varinus to join the Evocati. Varinus says that he did. Antony asks what terms he offered and Varinus reminds him. Antony reminds Varinus that he had declined that generous offer. But Antony says he'll make an exception, uh, and he will even make that same offer twice because Antony needs good men. Varinus will be made a prefect and be awarded 9,000 sesterci. Varinus looks like he might make a comment because that is 1,000 sesterci less than the initial offer, but he ultimately accepts it. Antony expects loyalty. Loyalty unto death. Unto death, sir. Antony kisses him on the cheek and embraces him. Welcome home. And this was my funniest scene of the episode, just because of how needlessly catty Antony was, which perfectly fits his character. Just making Verena stand there while he's like mulling over, or pretending to mull over documents. I love that. That was my favorite scene. Okay, we will go Jacob first. Oh, I was just going to say, this is my uh, Mark Antony finally gets to be big dog moment. He went far, <laughs> far, far all over that place. Neighbors were wondering what was up. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Cole? Uh, I just wanted to say that I think that i was like like surprised at how like generous that mark antony was being i think he would have been like well within his rights to be like all right uh five thousand sesterci and you're not getting into the avocado but he's like i'll you still get 95 percent of the deal i gave you before but i'm knocking a little bit off because you turned me down earlier i think that speaks to how desperate he is like he really really values verinus's skill set or also like i don't know is not sure of his footing yeah oh yeah that's a good point bp how about you i definitely just see the scene i'm just kind of like oh what a way to just toy with an individual just to be like oh i made you this offer and then he says he's going to make the same exact offer 
And then he repeats the offer, but then you hear it's 1000 less. And you're just like, Oh, he's just been messing it with him this whole time. He's been grilling him this whole time. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Eleni brings Servilia one of the Banksies. He was hired by Timon, who Servilia recognizes as Adia's man. Varinus returns home. He tells Niobe what he did. He sold himself to a tyrant, but it had to be done. Niobe kisses him and rests her head on his shoulder. Varinus walks through Rome in his uniform. He feels people staring at him and look at him with hostility. Like, that's what I picked up on. Did you guys see, like, the stares coming at the camera and stuff like that? They were, like, yeah. mean mugging him? Hostility, mm -hmm. judgments. Yeah. 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 I was thinking like in a, in a functioning Republic, there shouldn't be soldiers in the city, but then again, like where, uh, where Varinus goes to do this blessing and vigil it is in the city. So I don't, I'm a little confused there, I guess, but Cole, what were we going to say? Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, I was kind of wondering if those stairs were real or that's just what like Varinus I is see. thinking. Like yeah. he just sees the people like out as he's walking, thinks they're all judging him for yeah. the things he's judging himself yeah. for. Oh, well, really well put, Cole. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. astute. Uh, let's see. Uh, before temple doors, a soldier pounds a sword against a shield. An old man holds out a bowl in front of Varinus, asking for coins. He has a red cloak and makes me kind of wonder if he is a homeless veteran. The temple doors open for Varinus, and we cut to Servilia. We get another cross-cutting scene, kind of like the Caesar uh, seizure and dance happening last week. But Servilia is in her own ceremony, calling on the goddesses of the underworld to curse Caesar. She starts the curse with let his penis wither. Really going for the jugular off the bat. Am I right, fellas? Mm -hmm. Going for the penis, I think. Not the jugular. She says penis. Uh, yeah, no, you make a great point. Jugular's <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> good good point, uh, <laughs> Mr. Biology. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, she says she will rejoice when Caesar is dead and sacrifice to them. We briefly cut to Varinus's ceremony, a vigil. Servilia then curses Adia. She wants Adia to live, but to suffer and to watch her children die. As Servilia utters this curse, Octavian sneaks out into the night and into danger, but he meets up with Polo, so we know he's going to be okay. Polo finds and knocks out Evander. Eleni puts Servilia's prayer in a crack in the wall, possibly near the households of Adia and Caesar. I wasn't quite sure on that, but they seem... That would make the most sense to me. I just, in general, didn't really understand this, like, process, but, yeah. like, I was like, okay, they're probably at least putting them, like, near her house. Yeah. Or, wouldn't this be kind of poetic, in a way, Servia puts it puts Caesars in the Senate building. Oh, what BP was it the Senate building? Like, do you are you sure of that? I know. I'm just no. I'm not sure of it. Okay, but okay. What if? Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, cool. maybe. Uh, let's see. Polo and Octavian interrogate Evander, asking what's happening between him and Niobe. Evander denies everything, lying for his life, which Octavian detects. Polo believes Octavian and draws his sword. Evander begs for his life. Octavian tells him, hush, don't embarrass yourself. Octavian Gosh. says he has to kill Evander, who is quite distraught. Evander, move forward. Your life is over. The only question is, how do you want to die? Octavian says he'll be tortured if he doesn't tell the truth, or he can tell the truth and die painlessly. Evander still denies anything happened, so Octavian demands Polo tortures him. Polo has to work up the nerve and comments he was foolish to have hesitated to bring Octavian. Polo says he doesn't know how to torture anyone, and Octavian suggests cutting off his thumbs. Yes, PP? 
This, in my opinion, is the funniest moment in this episode. And the reason for that is just because it's very serious. And then he says, you got to torture him. Polo just says, I don't know how to torture. And just this back and forth between Octavian and Polo just cracked me up the whole time but, it was happening. But BP missed the best line in that interaction. Polo's like, yeah, I've, I've never tortured before um, in the Legion. They had specialists for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> that exact line is my funniest moment of the scene. And also, I'm just living for the, the Polo Octavian snuff film. Very funny. <laughs> yeah, this was also my uh, funniest scene of the episode. Which so is wait, all something. three of you guys chose this one. Okay. Which is remarkable because it is so dark. Dude, no, that's yeah. what I thought. It's, it's I really like, thought I was going to be alone on that one. Like, I... I cracked up i'm like i should not be laughing because this is a serious scene but it is the type i don't even think it's the lines it's just the timing of the actors and how they're delivering it is what does it rome is really incredible because like they just like build up a character's morality and give you reasons to root for them for like one to two episodes at a time but then like every episode or every other episode you are reminded that this character is a complete dirtbag. Octavian kills a dude the first episode. It d- kills a dude now. Um, I mean, Varinus is a slaver. Uh, Caesar is a domestic abuser. Like, I mean, literally everyone we follow is is very despicable. And it's just such a morally gray show, like watching it in the 21st century and like our modern ideals and standards of what people should be like. But they are living the ideals of their society. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, we'll continue on to this scene here. Not wanting to lose his thumbs, Evander reveals that he and Niobe were lovers. Polo goes to kill him, but Octavian tells him to wait, sensing more. Evander says there's nothing more, and Polo tells Octavian to take his thumbs, which he does. We cut briefly back to Varinus's vigil, then back to Evander. We can tell time has passed because he's been bloodied and beaten with a big black eye. He finally reveals that Lucius is his and Niobe's child. Polo then finally kills him and drops him in the sewer. Varinus is given a sacrament of blood, thematically consistent. Polo and Octavian leave the sewer. Octavian says they must never speak of this again, and Polo agrees. I briefly, I do have some final thoughts on the whole sewer snuff film scene. Sure. Uh, I just, it was just every part about it was good. Like we've talked about it, it had its funny moments, but it is actually like super effective. Um, there's some like history foreshadowing stuff I'll talk about in our history segment that I really enjoyed. And it actually is kind of a, a redeeming moment for Evander Pulkio because in our past episode, we kind of talked about how he might kind of be like a dirtbag. Like, yeah. you know, he cheated on his wife with his wife's sister. But like multiple times during this this torture scene, he's like, just kill me. I'm not going to tell you anything. Just just kill me. Like he's trying to preserve like, I don't know uh niobe's honor or well dignity. honor and like safety because niobe yeah. has said like more than once that she thinks varinus will kill her if like uh if he finds out yeah and so i'm like Evander Bolkio, wow look at this look at this guy i also see this as a moment for polo because at the very begin at when uh when polo and octavian are first interacting he's trying to get the answer so that he can tell Varinus. And then when he finds out like every detail and also the way he got every detail, 
it's very much just like, yeah, no, I he can't handle it. Great lengths. He can't handle yeah. it because he's such good friends with Varinas that he just kills him. I, I thought that was a great moment yeah. too. It like really speaks like, mm-hmm. wow, Polo really considers Varinas like the closest person in his world, pretty much. Oh yeah. All right, guys, we'll put a bow on this. The priest and Varinas' ceremony invokes a blessing from Mars that Varinas should be protected. Varinas leaves the temple. Caesar rides to see Pompey's camp burned. He's informed that Pompey has sailed for Greece. End of season one, episode five. Thank you, gents. Um, Just real quick overview, general thoughts of the episode. I really like this episode. It was pretty awesome. Like, good advancements. And again, we see big showcases of uh octavian intelligence i think that's what shines through the most for me this episode but uh yeah what about you guys i uh, adored this episode this is my favorite episode it made me feel very depressed and sad because everyone i liked had bad things happen to them but i i thought it it shone it shined so so this is your favorite episode of television of all time then logically James, yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's only sixth one six it's only the fifth one i've ever seen <laughs> this this is definitely by far my favorite episode of the season so far i uh i know i was kind of the odd one out last week by not loving episode four as much but man i think this episode just works on all fronts for the characters and the story I would say this uh, was one of my favorites. I don't know if it quite beats out episode four for me, but it was really good. I was uh, shocked uh, about Evander Polkio going out. I thought he was going to be mm. around longer. I definitely thought he was going to die by the end, but I I figured that would take a little longer. Also, I don't have this as my uh, favorite moment slash theme, but uh, I'm just happy about uh, our ratio uh, with Octavian. Uh, he was creepy in the first two episodes, uh, but now we've had three where he's just been like, admittedly, like sociopathic and like, and uh, kind of a murderer, but you know, not creepy necessarily. So he's got, uh, he's got more positive than negatives. I'm still not confident that that will hold true, but for the moment, at least he's, he's in the blue. Cole, uh, speaking of counting up things in uh, the, the, uh, uh, octavian's household i think this is the first episode where nothing bad happens to octavia and that is something worth celebrating yeah, oh my god like, Octavia's happiness. And, like yeah she's she's not even getting like she's not in the episode that much but she's not like getting ripped to shreds by adia it's because the one scene that she's in octavian's the one that's getting ripped to shreds mm-hmm. getting a pedicure and you know what's probably uh directly correlated that she's not displaying emotion to anyone that's probably exactly why nothing bad happened to her real quick guys before we get to breakout rooms bp and jacob did you guys think that evander was going to be around longer as well um yeah i think i kind of assumed so yeah. um he seems relatively important i like i wasn't too shocked but i was like huh okay okay also before we go to breakout rooms i do have words about pasca that is correct. That's correct. BP, really oh, quick, yeah. what did you think about Evander, though? I didn't. I I didn't think that Octavian and Polo were gonna be the ones to kill him. I thought oh, okay. that Varinus was gonna be the one to do it. That was but, pretty much my. Thought. I mean, but I mean, I know that this isn't like considered a spoiler, but like I'm just like I know who everyone dies later on because I mean, look at history. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah exactly exactly all right jacob uh three words for pasca pasca's <laughs> been around for a while so i feel like he should finally get some kind of proper introduction like this yes pasca is our good friend julius caesar's servant he's a bald man uh my three words about him are clever playful and wingman hmm. uh, okay yeah. Because uh, while he is kind of like Caesar's slave servant, uh, he is very smart. Like he's very logical. He's very good at assessing the situation. Um, but like he takes all of Antony's banter and and Caesar's back and forth with like, like a tongue in cheek attitude. Takes it all in the chin. You know, he does not. He's like he's in good spirits all the time. And he just has like super good synergy with Caesar. Like. Mm-hmm. In the scene where they're they're reading the agreement for truce, and they're like, "Well, we have to accept this," and Pasca's like, "But he won't meet us in person," and Caesar's like, "He won't meet us in person," and this is, it's great, it's great. Like Pasca's always on the same page as Caesar; like he just gets him. So yeah, I mean, he's like he's like a confidant, and you get the sense they've been doing this for like decades. That Caesar has owned this dude for decades, and Pasca he's mm-hmm. pretty happy with his station in life. As yeah, it were. absolutely. I I wanted to say in addition to that that uh, I feel like uh, Mark Antony is Caesar's right hand man. I feel like Pasca's like I know this isn't a term, but I think that Pasca's like the left hand man. Mm-hmm. Like he's like the other side. I think it also shows a very vast contrast. Like I know that uh, what's his name? We're talking about him. I'm blanking. Pasca. I don't know why. Pasca. Pasca even though he is a servant to Caesar, it just shows like the difference in how Caesar treats his servants versus how Pompey treats his servants. And it kind of just shows that contrast Hmm. that like now Pasca is kind of giving Caesar political advice almost, whereas Pompey is kind of just saying, Oh, how's it feel not having to uh, say in any of this or anything like oh, that? Oh, BP reminded me though. I didn't make note of this that um, you know, Caesar has that playful back and forth with Pasca this episode. He's like, only slaves think about freedom or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So little little playful um, uh, slavery jokes. I don't know, but okay. <laughs> bp and cole i'm gonna send you guys to a breakout room here now i don't honestly have anything specific guys but we are almost halfway through the season what do you think is coming next episode with caesar on the warpath and pompey having escaped and things escalating in rome and secrets being kept just i mean in this episode or the very forthcoming episodes what do you think that we are going to see occur whether people live or die whatever you'll have a few minutes in there and it's uh, just you and me, Patrier. Uh huh. Yes, Patrier. I think that's about right. Yeah. Probably quite. Um, we're talking history. Yep. Uh, I don't think I. If I, I'm not sure, I noticed any faux pas, but I actually did want to commend this episode for some historical stuff that I thought it got right, at least in my recollection. Yeah. Okay. Um, Caesar leaves Antony in charge of Rome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which. It happens. It happened. That was yep. a thing. And uh, us, us uh, in the know of Octavian and who he becomes, a kind of cold-blooded, um, quick to prescribe people to their death leader, uh, we, we see the inklings of that being born in the, the snuff film scene. I'm going to yep. keep calling it that. He's like, <laughs> torture him. Okay. Rip his thumbs off. Okay. <laughs> Kill him. 
It's like, this boy is built for this. Oh my goodness. And he's also talking about, and oh, and like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm not built to be a soldier. I feel sick. And yeah. Oh yeah. The sil- I, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that Octavian gets sick a lot in major battles throughout history. And like for a long part of his life haunted him. It's like, he was not presiding over his uh, armies because he was just like deathly ill. So yeah. Jacob, thank you for like bringing all that to the table. I honestly didn't like I was going to say, you know, this is another episode where, you know, it's just like a lot of dramatization. Um, We do get a historical event where Pompey and his forces leave Italy before Caesar can catch him. And even though like in this show, Caesar circuitously waits for a while in Rome before pursuing, um, we finally arrive to that point um there was another line jacob did you catch this uh polo i wrote this down because it was so important uh polo and the training tells octavian never fear young dominus we'll make a regular terror of you and it's yes. like yeah, yeah yeah it's like it it speaks to the i mean the the roman prescriptions are like uh, reminiscent of the french reign of terror and the french revolution and stuff like that with also the deathless that they were mm-hmm. pointing out um and and yeah i know that i say it's reminiscent when they are both real historical events and stuff like that but that's just how mm-hmm. uh his uh, history uh, doth repeat itself i i was gonna say people adding a poeticism or something to history mm-hmm. but yeah yeah i i think that's about all i had um to talk about history are mm-hmm. you ready to bring him back anything jacob yep all right cole and bp are back with us fellas um what what did you guys discuss what are, what, what do you think is coming up uh we discussed how uh we think that pompey is going to be abandoned by the the senate and uh, his uh, his troops because uh it's looking a lot like that ship is is sunk and they're going to try to get off of it as fast as they can really okay okay it's gonna be kind of like it's gonna be kind of like a uh i don't think it's gonna go to like this drastic thing but like it's kind of like how uh a lot of people started putting their doubts on rob stark and started maneuvering other ways to betray him and get out of his army and things like that okay but i also think that cole didn't think as drastic of a consequence as i did but i think that varinus and Polo's friendship is going to be super strained because he's going to find out about the affair and that Polo uh, lied to him about it because he knew. And I think that it's going to probably lead to Pol- Varinus attempting to kill Polo. Okay. Okay. Whoa. I like, wow. These are some good. That is, uh, yeah. You're going for it with that one. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think the reaction was going to be like that strong, but I think it'll definitely strain them if that comes out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas, we'll get into sharing our favorite, least favorite moments of the episode here. Now, I believe that Cole and Jacob had a least favorite moment to share. Um, Jacob, do you want to take the lead on that? Sure. Uh, my least favorite moment is when Julius Caesar is confronting Servilia and they're breaking up. And A, I just love Servilia this episode and it made me very, very sad to see her so sad. Um, and also, uh, violence that just, it felt very, uh, it it felt, mm, I mean, we see violence portrayed a lot of ways, but like, I don't know, whenever domestic violence is portrayed, it always just, it feels bad to look at. Yeah. And also Mm -hmm. I thought it was not done well. I kind of thought like the, the staged hits didn't land super well i don't know if it was a weird choreography thing maybe i'm just i just saw it weird but that 
it was my least favorite moment. I, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had that scene as a, a possible one, uh, but mine was actually, I don't remember when exactly it takes place. It, I think it's like the area where uh, Brutus and Cicero were talking about how Cicero wants to leave. It's when they keep cutting to Pompey and he like just like trips over like a, a branch or something and then he just kind of sits in the sand. It looks like he's just drawing stuff and just like, it just feels like they're portraying Pompey as this like sad old man when they like, they talked him up as like this this great Roman figure. Like the w- way they've like idealized him within the show, like feels like he's the third smartest person like in the show aside from Octavian and Caesar. But like everything we've seen of him just kind of doesn't super indicate that. And this just yeah. felt like he feels he like a sad old man. Yeah, felt like they did him dirty. He feels very bumbling. That's um. Cole, I I loved what you said. Me kind of on the opposite side with, you know, a different perspective. I I personally really liked the characterization, I will say. And it is maybe a, I don't know if subversion is the right word because I feel like that word's overused, but it's it's a nice subversion or irony that uh, Pompey is is somewhat bumbling. But we'll break into, guys, our favorite moments or just favorite things about this episode here. I will go ahead and start because, as always, I guess I'm going to talk for a while. So my favorite thing about the episode was the cinematography and the physical acting this episode, which I thought was above average, and I'll share some of those favorite moments, not necessarily in chronological order. The opening on a bunch of claustrophobic, sweaty men. Um, But no, really, like Pompey and Brutus and Cicero and Scipio and Cato, they're all worried and fretting and very defensive. Nothing has gone their way, and the cinematography, up close and shaky, conveys their plight. When Varinus is leaving Erastes, he is in the streets of Rome, and he's very confused, and he's looking back behind him at the scene of the crime with Tangit. He wanted to leave the violence behind him, and he's like, it's it's followed him to where he lives here. Uh, Pompey tripping over himself while he walks, showing weakness. I really like that. I love the, I really liked the body language between Servilia and Caesar breaking up scene, uh, how Servilia tries to touch him and Caesar doesn't allow her. Her face is half covered in light, half covered in shadow. And after Caesar scorns and assaults her, she turns totally to the darkness later and curses him. Uh, the shot of Antony sitting on Caesar's desk after Caesar tells him that they're not going to attack Pompey was excellent. It, it begs a question. If there was no Caesar and Antony was in charge, what would happen? Uh, the sequence of Verenus going to the temple and everyone looking at him with hostility is great cinematography. We get a sense of how Verenus feels, others perceive him, and it's well intercut with Servilia's curses. Verenus wearing his helmet bathed in darkness with blood running down the middle of his face. That shot went so hard. This is my second to last one, and this is probably my favorite. When Verenus returns from Antony, he is walking heavily up the stairs using the rail. He crashes into his seat at the kitchen table. He has sold himself to a tyrant, but Niobe kisses him and rests her head on his shoulders. And a few episodes ago, they committed to each other and are physically growing closer. And we see that, and I am so lonely. Um, no, I, I did note that scene down in my own notes. It was a very lovely moment between those two. Mm, yeah, I thought so. Like, well. Niobe's been like, it feels like Niobe's been trying to convince herself that she doesn't love Vanderpolkio at all, and she definitely loves Varenus. And this that moment, it felt like, oh, Niobe does love Varenus. Yeah. Um, and I had one more to share, guys. Let's see. Um, feet? Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that aloud. Um, uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Are you Quentin Tarantino? I have uh, no, little... I'm Bob Odenkirk. Uh, that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, That's, oh, and, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait, Jacob, how do you know about that? You've never seen TV before. I know who so Bob you know Odenkirk, Odenkirk is. I'm on Twitter. All right. 
I will go next. I have two favorite things. One is like a technical thing for that I noticed throughout the entire episode. Last week, I was very critical about the editing and I felt that it was kind of choppy. This week, I felt anytime there was multiple intercutting scenes happening, I think that was it was super smooth. And I think that if my dog doesn't leave me alone soon, I don't know what I'll do. I was say, Anyways, it looks like uh, he has wait, something wait. to say too. <laughs> he does. It's called I Want to Go for a Walk. Anyways. Yeah, is there a fourth feet scene we can attribute to him? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I But I think the editing in this episode was very well done. And then just a fa- general moment. Uh, my favorite, anything with Octavian and Polo. That Those were just so such fun. Such a fun dynamic to see. And even when it wasn't supposed to be funny, it was fun. Well, I guess I'll go next. Uh, my favorite scene was Varinus uh, leaving the, the scene of the crime uh, after refusing to kill uh, Tanjit for Erastes because like, it was very clearly he was struggling with this situation. He's like, I want to take care of my family, but like this is not who I am. But he stuck to his principles and that like cements in my mind that uh, Varinus will probably do some things that I don't like in future episodes. But like this solidified for me, like at his core, he is a good man. Well said, Cole. Uh, I will wax a little poetic for mine. Um, it was uh, illustrated effectively, I think. I, I think maybe it was last episode. It might have been one of K. K. It might have been one of your favorite <laughs> things. Pointing out the how important or uh, interwoven religion and all these different gods are oh, yeah. in um, the lives of all these different Roman peoples. And up until this point, it has felt like every single prayer that has been asked to a God has been for the most part fulfilled, whether that's in the first episode where Titus Polo is, uh, uh, he prays to get out of jail and immediately is removed from jail or, or last episode where uh, Caesar, basically everything goes his way. He gets the gold and he gets blessed by the gods, you know? Uh, uh, so it felt to me particularly powerful or like, at least uh, a powerful continuation of that trend to see Servilia so enraged and so impassioned that she evokes her ancestors to curse these two people who have wronged her deeply in mm-hmm. Julius Caesar and Atia. And uh, uh, on top of that, it's just like a, a really, really powerful moment from the actress where it's just really yeah. well performed and uh, the the stabbing into the metal sheet and the dragging. And uh, I thought it ruled. I thought it kicked butt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jacob, that also reminded me, it's like, I, they are totally different cultures. I understand that, but it's like, it's like voodoo doll adjacent or something like that. Yeah. Cause she's like talking about, I like had a similar yeah. thought when that scene happened. Yeah. So, guys, we will get into our everyone's favorite quiz show on Death of the Roman Republic. Our current standings is Jacob having taken a lead with 19.5 points, BP with 19, Cole at 17. BP, you will answer first because you are in the lead over Cole. Our first question for the night. Pompey Magnus refers to himself in the third person this episode. His full name in real life was Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus. What does Magnus mean? The butcher, the warrior, the great, or the blessed? BP, your response. I'm going to have to guess C, just because if standardized testing taught me anything, always guess C. So the great, he's Pompey the Great. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Cole, how about you? 
I was also leaning C, but mostly because of Alexander the Great, not because of standardized testing. <laughs> Two equally valid methods. Uh, Jacob, how about you? And I was thinking of the Hulu original, The Great. Therefore, I answer The Great. <laughs> Which is another great historical representation of uh, history. Or the trailers look good, at least. Um, yeah. Wait, uh, wait. The Great on Hulu, is that a TV show? Because you've never seen TV before. Uh, I believe that is the illusion that Kay was uh, pointing out. Question two. Caesar <laughs> mentions the hoi polloi common Roman Wait, did, support his attack. Ooh, we gotta find out you our, didn't tell our us correct after we got oh, that yeah. right. Uh, you all got it wrong. No, you all got it right. Yeah, sorry about that. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah Pompey the Great. We got it wrong. We all keep the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Cole, for the reminder. Uh, okay. Uh, this is a, uh, Jacob, sorry, this is a non-DOTRR question. Caesar mentions the hoi polloi, common Romans who would support his attack of Pompey, since Pompey refused to meet him face-to-face. -face. What is the origin of the term hoi polloi, Latin, Greek, Phoenician, or Italian? Cole, yours to answer first. Where does the term hoi polloi come from? I'm going to say C. I don't have any real reason. All right, guessing Phoenician. How about you, uh, BP? I'm going to guess Greek. Guessing Greek. Okay. And how about you, Jacob? I think I'm going to guess Phoenician. And I have a reason, but I won't explain. All right. Um, this is one that BP got correct. Uh, the term hoi polloi is Greek in origin. Yep. All right. Thanks, Greek theater. Oh, 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 good, good. Okay. okay. Let's see here. Adia mentions in so many words that Octavian is weak like his father. In real life, what was Octavian's father's highest occupation? He was a priest in a religious cult, he was a businessman, he was a slaver, or he was a praetor, the magistrate below consul. BP, yours to answer first. In real life, Octavian's father, his highest position in life was what? I'm going to guess D. Praetor? Praetor, praetor, yeah. All right, Cole, how about you? All right, uh, once again... Uh, that is the answer I was going to say, but in an effort to ensure we don't all keep guessing the same thing, I'm going to pivot to my backup, which was B. Businessman? All right. How about you, Jacob? I do assume this is a biological father. Yes. In which case, in which case I answer, hey, priest in a religious cult. All right. Uh, BP, taking the point again, solo. Okay, I just got to stop <laughs> going away. <laughs> Let's see here, guys. Question number four. Marcus Tullius Cicero mentions that he does not have the prestige that Marcus Junius Brutus's name has. How did Cicero become a notable politician, respected by the populace and fellow politicians, in the first place? Was he a gifted lawyer in order? He was rich and used his riches to bribe and make alliances. He was a famous war hero in general, or he was thought to be blessed and favored by the gods. Cole, this is yours to answer first. Why is Cicero notable? I'm going to say A. He was a gifted lawyer and orator. Okay, BP, how about you? Given the context of this show and how much the people of Rome relied on them, I'm going to guess D. Thought to be favored by the gods. Okay. Um, and how about you, Jacob? Cicero was a great orator. Man knew how to gab. That is correct. Cole and Jacob nabbing up some points there. Congrats, fellas. 
And our final question for the evening. While Roman politics was deeply aristocratic, a handful of men did win offices despite not having a previous family member in politics, such as Cicero. Since Cicero had no previous family in politics, what was his title? Novus Homo, Princeps Homo, Felix Homo, or Primus Homo? Uh, BP, your answer first. I'm going to guess A. Guessing A, Novus Homo. Okay. Uh, Cole, how about you? I'm going to guess D. Guessing D, Primus Homo. And how about you, Jacob? He was a novel or new man, a.k.a. Novus Homo. That is correct. BP and Jacob picking up points there. Uh, thank you for playing, guys. We'll calculate those tallies later on. Man, I was really confident about that one because I was like, Primus, I think means like first. I was like, yes. first man, because he's the first one. So like that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I try to make all of these uh, a reasonable guess, but with that, guys, we'll uh, kind of get wrapping on our episode here. Next week, we are going to be viewing Season 1, Episode 6, Egeria. If I am not mistaken in that pronunciation, you can tweet thoughts about the show at DOTRRPod on Twitter. If you want to learn more about the real history behind this episode, you can roughly listen to the first half of Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter 12, Caesar V. Poppy, that covers this. This episode mostly took creative liberties, um, and I know I've said this the past couple of weeks, but I think we're finally going to get uh, some advancement on this first half of Chapter 12. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if you are able to. And my fellow hosts, would you like to promote anything going on in your lives? Hello, my name is Jacob. You can follow me on Twitter at SoupCatFishHello, at The Great Wilds for Biology YouTube. Uh, I have a cat named Ivan. And uh, Jacob's Twitter account is a great follow, at SoupCatYellowfish, if if you want to talk if, if you want to see him talking about like i don't know some dude named or something like that <laughs> uh, whoa whoa <laughs> uh all right who wants to go next uh i shall and it's uh soup catfish yolo mr k did i get it wrong you said you soup fish i can't remember yeah okay shoot yolo. sorry sorry the yolo was first and it's not supposed to be there oh shoot shoot okay you can follow me on Letterbox at bpoilspill98, and I have a dog. His name is Thor. Oh, there we go. Look at this. Yeah, uh, I I had some stuff I was working on, but I got I had to push it back a little bit because I had a, a prestigious award ceremony to attend where I was being honored. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't put the work in for now, but you know, we'll see where the next week takes us. <laughs> All right. Well, with all that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. That, to be clear, that is the correct outro. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't have.